Thank you, Phil. And thank you, singers and musicians. It really helps us in our worship. We're very grateful. A little while ago, I read through 1 Corinthians. And when I came to chapter 15, I saw that Paul, in a few verses, had what I would call an outline of um, what's going to take place when the Lord Jesus returns. And I thought, oh, that would make a good message. <laughs> and so, um, I don't know if it's a good message, but I'm going to use it um, this morning, what he said here. So, um, it's 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read verses 20 to 26. But Christ really has been raised from death the first one of all those who will be raised. Death comes to people because of what one man did. But now there is resurrection from death because of another man. I mean that in Adam all of us die. And in the same way, Christ, in Christ all of us will be made alive again. But everyone will be raised to life in the right order. Christ was first to be raised. Then when Christ comes comes again those who belong to him will be raised to life then the end will come Christ will destroy all rulers authorities and powers that is those that oppose him then he will give the kingdom to God the father Christ must rule until God puts all enemies under his control the last enemy to be to be destroyed will be death and so I want to this morning just, uh, well, really what I'm going to give is an outline or an overview of uh, what we've just read, but sort of expand on it a little bit. Um, I want to talk about Jesus' return, the resurrection of the saints, and then Christ's rule, uh, final rule and reign over the, over the universe, and then the destruction of his enemies, and then the handing of his kingdom back to the Father, which was mentioned in that reading, and then what our response might be to what we've heard. Uh, I won't be talking about premillennial and amillennial and pre-tribulation and post-tribulation and all the other things that people talk about when we talk about the eschatology or the last days. Um, I'll leave that to the experts. I just want to stick with what Paul gave in his outline and then just expand on it with other scriptures. So here we go. Uh, first of all, be before I do talk about Jesus' actual return, I want to mention some of the, some of the events leading up to his return. I can't give them all. Uh, scripture is full of that. If you want to know more about that, study Matthew, 25 and, Matthew 24 and Matthew 25. It gives a, um, a very comprehensive understanding of events leading up to our Lord's return. So I'm going to just touch on a few of them. The first one is in Luke chapter 21, and it says, There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and, and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. So worldwide catastrophes will take place, such things as tsunamis, earthquakes, volcanoes. 
and nations will certainly be distressed and they are distressed now because of the pandemic that's across the world and also because of wars that are taking place. We have Ukraine, we have Afghanistan, we have Myanmar and there are other conflicts in other parts of the world which are causing great distress just as Jesus said. But he says we are exhorted to, well we're exhorted to straighten up, to look up, in other words be ready, stay alert. The next reference is Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. The passion of God's heart is that every people group in every nation has the opportunity to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times have you heard the gospel? How many times have you explained the gospel to somebody? Did you know that still... In 2022, 42% of the, of the people groups of the world, of the nations of the world, have not yet heard the gospel. And that's a, that's a shame to the church of God. We've had it for over 2,000 years, and still 42,000, uh, sorry, 42% of the world have yet to hear. Somebody said, and probably wisely, they should have given the great commission to um, Coca-Cola, because it's in every country. We can learn. First Timothy chapter four. <clears throat> the Spirit clearly says that in later times, in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits uh, and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. And we have all of these today. People are turning away from the faith, even those who have been greatly used of God to bless other people. And there are those who forbid marriage and eating of certain foods. So some have placed themselves back under the old covenant and refused to be liberated. 2 Timothy chapter 3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. We need to keep reminding ourselves things are not going to get better, people. Things are not going to get better. There, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have you seen any of that lately? <laughs> All you've got to do is watch TV for 10 minutes or even watch the news and you'll see a lot of that portrayed, sadly. Okay, that's enough about the events leading up to the coming of Jesus. Now we come to his return. Most of you will be familiar with what happened in Acts chapter 1. Uh, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from the eyes of the disciples. They were looking intensely up into the sky as he was going, as you would, uh, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back 
in the same way you've seen him go into heavens. Imagine that, defying the law of gravity. And Jesus ascended into heaven and in the same way he's going to come back again. Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Those and those who pierced him and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Jesus went up with the clouds and he will return with the clouds and everyone will know about it. How? I don't know. But I do know that with today's technologies, news spreads very, very quickly. It doesn't take long for news to get right across the world. Those who pierced him, those who are responsible for crucifying him, will see him. And we read there, all the peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. Presumably that's because they've rejected the gospel of Jesus, they've ignored him, or sadly they may never have heard about him, had never heard the gospel, and so they are grieved and so they mourn. Mark 13, at that time people will see his angels and gather his elect from the four winds. Sorry, he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. And so soon after Jesus' arrival, after the tribulation of those days, those who are his will be gathered from right across the world, wherever we are. And then we'll be taken up, as we see in the next passage, which is 1 Thessalonians 4. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. That is, those who have already died, the saints. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's going to be very, very noisy. So noisy it's going to raise the dead. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Hallelujah. The souls of those who have already died are now with the Lord and their new transformed bodies will rise first. Then we who are left, still, still living here, will be caught up together with them in the clouds, and together we will meet our Lord and Saviour and be with him forever. Luke 9, verse 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. So Jesus is coming, and he's coming in great glory. The glory of the Heavenly Father, the glory of the angels, and his own glory. And that's something not to be missed. And we certainly don't want to be thought of as being ashamed of Jesus and his words. That would not be good. And in the last, last verse for this section, Hebrews 9:28, Christ was crucified once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, like he did the first time, but to bring salvation or deliverance to those who are waiting for him. So the first time Jesus came, somewhere around 2,000 years ago, it was to pay the penalty for our sins through the sacrifice of himself on the cross of Calvary. The next time he comes, it'll be to rescue those of us 
who are eagerly waiting and longing for his return because he wants us to live with him. And we know in John 14, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to come back and take you with me because I want you to be where I am. Imagine Jesus wants you and me to be with him. That's grace. Okay, we come now to the resurrection of the saints. The resurrection of the saints and others. Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body. Your mortal body is the body you've got now because of his spirit who lives in you. When Jesus returns, if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, that is, if you belong to him and you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, then he is the one who will give spiritual life to your earthly body, no matter what condition it's in. And our bodies are in all kinds of conditions, aren't they? But he is going to give us a new body. He raised Jesus from the dead and he'll do the same for you and me. Jesus was first, he was the forerunner, and we will follow. 1 Corinthians 15, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, that's Adam, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man, the Lord Jesus. He goes on. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. I saw that sign. I saw those words on the nursery door at a church once where they put the babies. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. <laughs> I forget where it was or what it was, but anyway, I thought it was very good. I tell you a mystery, we're in all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must, put, must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. To summarize this, our res resurrection bodies will be imperishable, they will be glorious, they will be powerful, they will be spiritual. We will bear the likeness of Jesus, not physically, but in his character. That means that the image of God in which we were created and has been marred by our sins will be restored. The change that takes place will be instantaneous in the twinkling of an eye. And death, as we know, will be no more. It will be swallowed up in victory. And to this I want to add Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. There we have it again. We will be like the, the glorious body of, or the glorified body of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14. We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you 
to himself or to the Father. So not only will he raise us up, but he'll lead us into the very presence of our Heavenly Father, something hundreds of thousands of saints around the world are looking forward to. But not only will believers be raised, but also unbelievers. And I'm just going to let Daniel, Jesus, and Paul speak for themselves without much comment. Daniel 12.2 Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. John 5.28-9 Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good, those who have trusted in Christ, will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. And then finally, Paul in Acts 24. I have, he, he was speaking to a, a group of believers. I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have, that there will be a resurrection, both of the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. And that's good advice too. So Jesus will return. The saints will be raised. And now Jesus will reign. Daniel chapter 7. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's God Almighty, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting. That, that will... His, his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This amazing vision that Daniel saw 600 years before Jesus came into our world explains that Jesus is coming on the clouds of heaven which we've seen repeatedly in these scriptures and will be given dominion over all peoples and nations. His dominion is everlasting and will never fail or be destroyed. We come to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. But about the Son of God, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever. Your throne, O God, will last forever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. And that's a quote from Psalm 45. So here we have two symbols of sovereignty, two symbols of royalty, the throne and the scepter. Jesus' throne is forever. There's no end to it. It's for all eternity. And that's why the throne features so much in the book of Revelation. Even if you read, the, read, that, read, the, read those 22 chapters and just followed the theme of the throne, your hearts would be blessed. And then, of course, he has a scepter, and it's the scepter of righteousness, and that's the, that's the symbol of his kingship. Philippians chapter 2, we're fairly familiar with these verses, I hope. Verses 9 to 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. We've been singing about that lovely name this morning. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So those who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ to the salvation of their souls Acknowledge that there is no higher name, no more lovely name than the name of Jesus. And we gladly worship him. 
now and we joyfully confess him before others that he is Lord, the Lord, he is our Lord and he is Lord of all. But these scriptures also tell us that the day is coming when Jesus returns that every knee in heaven, in heaven, on earth and under the earth will confess his sovereignty over everything and everyone. Now, some of us are used to doing that. We're worshipping him now. We acknowledge his lordship, his supremacy over everything and everyone. But there will be those who will, do it, will be forced to do it. They will do it grudgingly in recognition of his sovereignty and of his supremacy over all. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So everything, everything except the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, under the control of the Lord Jesus. The right hand of God is the place of power. It's a place of authority. All beings, authorities, and powers are subject to him. And he's not alone on his throne, but surrounded by 24 uh, 24 elders, myriads and myriads of angels, we are told, and of course, of all the saints who have gone before. And Revelation 20 tells us that those who belong to Jesus will reign with him, well, it says, for a thousand years. I think just, just indicating that a reign with Jesus will be for a very long time and no doubt will never end. Then continue, consider Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. Then the sovereignty power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people that's the believers the saints of the most high his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him so jesus will return the saints will be resurrected and jesus will reign over all and then we come to the destruction or the ruin of his enemies 1 Corinthians 15, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus couldn't destroy his enemies if he was not reigning with all power and authority. And when his enemies are finally abolished, he will continue to reign. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. This means that death as we know will be no more. All the grief and the anguish and the heartache that we experience with the passing of a loved one will be over forever and ever, never to return. Matthew 13. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They'll be thrown uh, they will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. All causes of sin and those who intentionally break God's law will be cast into the fiery furnace of hell along with the devil, the false prophet, the beast and those who have received his mark. We read that in Revelation 19 and Revelation 20. And still in Revelation 20, we read, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of lies was thrown into the lake of fire. This is a further confirmation of the end forever of death and Hades. 
Hades is the realm of the unbelieving dead. And because their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life, they too will be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. The gospel is the good news. What I've just said then is the bad news. Then there's the handing over of the kingdom to the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 24 and 28. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority and power. When he's done this, then the Son himself will be made perfect, uh, sorry, made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. So everything that Jesus came into our world to do the first time he came has been fully accomplished and that's why when he was on the cross he was able to honestly with all integrity say it's finished, it's done, it's accomplished. Then when he returns a second time and God's plan of redemption for his church and creation has been fully accomplished then Jesus will hand everything back to the Father and all things and all people and nations will be in subjection to him will be under his control and those those of us who love him wouldn't want it any other way would we so Jesus will return his people will be resurrected and go to Jesus Jesus will reign his enemies will be destroyed and the kingdom will be returned to the father I wonder what our personal response is what's our heart response to all of that I want to suggest just four Four possibilities. In Matthew 24:44, we read, So you all also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And so I believe the most important and the most necessary way that any of us can be ready is to know that we are fully trusting in Christ and Christ alone for our eternal salvation. It's not Christ plus my good works. It's not my good works. It's just Christ and Christ alone because he paid the price fully for us on Calvary. Secondly, there's a warning in 2 Thessalonians which I think we need to heed. It says, no, let no one deceive you in any way. Let no one trick you. Let no one deceive you in any way. And this is why we need to soak ourselves in the scriptures, in the word of God and fellowship with people, peoples, others of like mind so that we know the truth and we're not misled by other voices, no matter how genuine they may appear to be. Thirdly, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter tells us that while we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells, and I didn't even touch on that, allude to that at all, uh, we are to live lives of holiness and godliness. Otherwise, we'll be ashamed at his coming. So, we need to know that we are saved, that we, are, that we belong to God, we've been sealed with the Spirit of God, and we are to live lives that are honouring to Him, lives that are holy, lives that are godly. And then finally, in 1 John 2, 8, that encourages us to abide in Jesus. Abide in Him so that when He appears, when He comes, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame. We don't want to do that, do we? We want to be those who are confident because Christ, Christ is in control of our lives. We're abiding in him. We're living in fellowship with him day by day, moment by moment. And, um, and we, we, we let, 
By faith, we claim the cleansing of the blood of Christ over our sins, and we can stand before God and not be ashamed. And we walk with him in obedience and so on. So that's just an outline of what I understand from Scripture, what's going to take place, what our response should be. So I'll just pray briefly and then the amusers will take over. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, even just that outline, that overview of what we've seen there. But we do pray that the Spirit of God will drive your word into our hearts and continue to speak to us, Lord. We don't want to be those who are caught out. We want to be those who are ready when Jesus comes. We thank you that it is possible because of your grace toward us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we respond to what God has been saying to us, let's stand together, sing together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness.
Father, it's been wonderful just to gather together like this to express our worship through the medium of song and prayer and to be able to hear your word. And uh, We've been enriched, Lord, and we just bless you, bless you so much. Uh, we love the words of that song, Lord. I wish I could repeat them, but uh, you are Lord of all, and we gladly surrender our lives to you. We submit to your sovereignty and your, your grace in our lives, and we go out from here as your witnesses to make known the good news of Jesus. So we ask, Lord, your blessing upon us because we desperately need that. But we also pray for your blessing through us so that others are touched by the Spirit of God, those rivers of living water that flow out from us. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, if any of you would like prayer, you're very welcome to come down the front and some of us will pray with you.